Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we love to amplify the voices of those women whose story is moving, meaningful, and compelling. Today's guest is Mita Malik. Welcome, Mita. I'm so happy to finally have you on the show. Yes, thanks, Susan. I'm really delighted to have this conversation with you today. Awesome. Awesome. So I know who you are. You were referred to me by a very good mutual friend of ours. Um, I'd like you to tell my audience a little bit about yourself. Well, I'll start with where I always start, which is it's uh, week 31, day one here for me. (laughs) It might actually be week 32. I think it's week 31. Yes, but we are in the middle, all of us living through this pandemic remote working, remote teaching, cooking, cleaning, grieving, breaking up fights. I have a five and seven year old. So I always start with that. I'm a a working mother, working woman executive and in Jersey city with my five and seven year old in 1500 square feet with my husband who also has a pretty demanding job. And we, we haven't left. I've, I've had lots of friends and people in the community who've left and gone to the suburbs, but we're still holding out strong. So that's how I, that's, I'm a mom. And that's one of the most important things to me. I agree. I think that's so beautiful. I'm a mom of one son. Uh, He's 19 now, but it feels to me every day, like he's still uh, in a babe in arms. Yeah. Let me ask you this. How is it going with the homeschooling? It was was a tough summer. I mean, it was a tough spring. I was the reluctant summer camp counselor. I should have probably been fired, but that was was what what it was. And that was really uh, painful and also joyous. I think what's become, I think the hardest thing is that it's it's work-life integration on overdrive. Yeah. There's there's no separation of, of anything. And you know, I have younger children. And so I always love to talk to people with children in different stages of their life. My children are mourning different things like the five-year-old's birthday party where she was convinced in May she was going to have a big birthday party, right? Couldn't really wrap her head around that, right? And then a friend of mine, and I write a lot and I write for Working Mother and a friend of mine who wrote on my post, I posted about her birthday party and he said, yeah, and my daughter's graduation didn't happen this year. And you're like, wow, like yeah. high school graduation, college graduation. And so it's been tough. It's been exciting and exhausting. And like for many of us, an emotional roller coaster. Thank you for being real about that because, um, you know, I think it's great those who have not only managed, but, you know, thrive in this and have succeeded I'm not one of those women, I can tell you. I'm like teetering between surviving and thriving. So <laughs> today, today I'm in, as we talk, I'm in a bit more of a, th- in a, a thriving mode, but it's Good. minute to minute, right? Yeah. It is minute to minute. So, so for us, um, we have three older daughters who are in their thirties, they're off on their own, but the young son who um, had to spend his, most of his freshman year at Berkeley here in our home, because we had wildfires, power outages, and then COVID. And now he's going into his sophomore year and they've opened up campus, but he's got to stay in his room, right? He's in a fraternity house and I'm like horrified. I'm so worried. But so I worry about him as if he were five and seven, you know, so that never goes away. You're doing a great job. You're, if you're even walking that line between, you know, survive and thrive, you're doing better than most. 
every day, every day. Someone asked me what I was doing last next week. I said, I, I can maybe tell you what I just did for lunch. I literally <laughs> wake up every morning and I think, what are the two things I have to do to keep my kids alive? And what are the two things I need to do for my company? I think it's just... Don't forget to put you in there. What about oh, you? Oh, yeah, you're right. Me. No, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, th that should be the third bucket. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to make the case that it should be the first. So, um, first bucket, yeah. yeah, I know with little children, it's difficult to put yourself first. But honestly, it's like that analogy they give about put the air mask, oxygen mask on yourself on the airplane first so that you can help others. So make sure you take care of yourself. Um, no, you're yeah. Well, tell us a little more outside of, well, you're, you're pretty much superwoman right there with the company and the husband and the children and surviving and, you know, some days thriving. Um, but what are things you like to do for fun? Like maybe what do you do when you're not working? I like to watch Peppa Pig. <laughs> I color a lot. Finger painting. <laughs> I just am just finished Harry Potter's Sorcerer's Stone. People ask me, what do I read for fun? Or what's the, what's the recent book you've read? And I'm like, I'm trying to hold down my job and parent in a pandemic. I, I don't, I haven't like literally it's Harry Potter, the Sorcerer's Stone that I I'm reading. With but I do, I think what I've, what I've come to realize now and sort of embraced in the pandemic is that we get lots of time together and yeah. I get to see my family friends in a different light that I didn't. And so a lot of my hobbies, uh, joking and not joking, are things that my children do. And just trying to disconnect and decompress and whatever that is. I haven't drawn or colored since, I don't know, since I was a child. So actually spending time doing that is really great. But my, my passion is my family, my work, and I write a lot. And that's something that I've that I've really started doing more during the pandemic because it's better than drinking wine and <laughs> and lots of wine that I did in the beginning and just writing and just sharing how I'm feeling and sharing my stories and sharing what I'm observing in the world. And there's so much happening right now. And I'm really touched when when it impacts somebody and people write to yeah. me and say, I'm really impacted by what you wrote. And that makes me uh, that, that brings a smile to my face. I certainly uh, don't do it for that, but more for myself to say, I'd like to share what I'm seeing in the world. And if it can help someone uh, that that makes a difference. I was just going to say that in your, uh, well, first of all, there are a few things I want to unpack. Um, my family used to dress up like, you know, so we would watch Lord of the Rings and we'd dress in character. That's how geeky we are. Um, but it might be something fun for your kids. Like if you're going to watch yeah. Harry Potter dress in, in, um, costume you know and have it a theme night and eat what they ate and all that good stuff so um a little that. i'm bit. gonna add that to my list yeah it's fun it makes for um a really fun childhood my my son won't admit it today but we were awesome parents <laughs> we were very geeky just like you know and permissioning all that kind of geeky stuff and it's awesome it's awesome other thing i want to tell you about and ask you about you said you like drawing and coloring with your kids and i find that very therapeutic um I love that I, do you do you find that very therapeutic or is this just utilitarian like is it to just to keep your kids occupied or do you yourself find it stress relieving to color I think I used to think to your point I just did it because they were doing it 
And then if you really embrace yourself and do it, because where are we going? There's really nowhere to go now. And you actually really immerse yourself in it. Right. I was actually, I can't remember the movie I was watching with them. I think it was Brave. But also, usually when I would put on movies, I'd still be in the back, which I'm doing, as many of us are, doing all sorts of other things. But the other day, I just sat with them and intentionally watched a movie. Wow. And I was like, wow. Like, and watching it through a child's eyes, like not being distracted, not in the phone, not laptop, just sitting there and watching it. And I think you're right. All of these things are are therapeutic because I think it's just disconnecting ourselves. And that's why I was so excited to do a conversation with you that was over audio. Yeah. And just, just to be intentional and to listen to someone's voice and have a conversation and it's human connection. Yeah, it doesn't always have to be over video. So I'll also say this, you just described, I often say we've become human doings when really we're human beings. We need to be, really, we need to be. And it it seems to me that um, you've gone from, and and look, every mom's done this, using Brave and other movies as, you know, to babysit and occupy the children, but to actually instead, now it's something to engage and to, um, you know, talk about later or learn the lesson from. And, and really see the way your children see, which I think is, you know, children, they're remarkable until we undo all that intuition and good that, that you know, that those, the curiosity, if you will, that, that comes with innocence. I, I think that's great that you really sat down and watched it with them and learned with them and heard the comments they made. That's remarkable. Well, Let's talk, talk to me tomorrow. I don't think I'll watch Frozen <laughs> with them, but this is just, you know, it goes, goes minute to minute Susan minute to minute well, well I like happens. giving you all that credit so yeah. let me ask Thank you, you let's let's ask more about your writing so for me I grieve through writing I journal I have um if you've never read how to think like Leonardo da Vinci by Michael Gelb get the book and read it because there are exercises you can do with your family with your company with and and lots of writing it it made me um It was almost like self-actualization, right? So what does writing do for you and why do you write? I've been writing since I could write. Nice. I I find like old like scraps of paper, (laughs) stories and things that I used to write. I remember vividly loving commercials. I was the child who loved commercials and not television shows when people (laughs) actually used to watch commercials. I shouldn't say that because we want people to buy stuff. So watch commercials, but I was always fascinated by storytelling. And I think whether it was elementary school, junior high, high school, undergrad, grad, I always wrote for the newspaper, always had columns. And I was painfully shy growing up, which I think is, is very is different than being introverted. I was painfully shy growing up. And so I wrote a lot, I journaled a lot. And then in my twenties, I was a failed novelist. I had written three novels, had an agent, went to some publishing houses and they said my writing was too dark. <laughs> so oh, wow. I, could, I could edit it or revise it. And I was like, ah, maybe my no, younger self wasn't as open to feedback. So I decided actually that I was also very interested in business. And so I ended up going to get my MBA and, and have had a really great career. And and I'm still excited about the work I do, but I think it was during the pandemic where honestly, I, like all of us was just struggling. And I, and I always say to people, 
that behind the best banana bread you ever baked that you put on Instagram and the drive-by birthday parties and whatever image we're trying to portray in social media, you don't know what kind of pain or pain people are in during this time. And you don't know what journey everyone's on. I say everyone's on their own COVID-19 journey. And yeah. so that could be, I speak very openly and honestly about what it's like to be a working mother. I have friends who are in isolation, who are in that exact opposite situation of me where they're alone. We have people with mental health, struggling with mental health issues, yeah. taking care of elderly. And so you just have to be empathetic and just be kind and know that people are going through different things but you know all the things I'm going through I write about because I find that to be therapeutic I love to share my voice and like I said I I don't ever I write what I know and so I don't write something thinking oh I know this person's gonna love it maybe it ends up that way but I write just what I know whether that's in the work I do outside of my home or what I'm dealing with with my children or my husband who sometimes makes cameos in my writing which he doesn't like very much but (laughs) yeah he deals with that and so yeah I think it's just a great way for me to be connected to the world that is so awesome so I I too have a husband who didn't volunteer to be in the public eye well I mean he he used to be an elected official and he's a he's a he's he's a politician now but he he didn't volunteer his personal life to be in the public eye but I put it there and I believe that you know we share who we are and in our doing so it's not for any ulterior motive it's just who we are but in doing so you give permission to others to be real and I think that's what you do for so many not just women but men as well I think when you're able to um work as hard and in as high profile a position as you're in and still be real and talk about things that other people can relate to, like the sadness that might come with this lockdown or the concern or fear if you choose to leave, what, what, what will that bring? Um, parenting and, and, you know, missing your baby girl's birthday party, not being able to have that memory ever. Um, you know, I think those are struggles that a lot of people are having. Some aren't even recognizing. Um, One of my closest friends lives in, um, I can't remember where in New Jersey, but in New Jersey, she is single and has two elderly dogs and lives alone and is suffering mightily. You know, she's, she's sad. I mean, in this country, you know, we put people in isolation as the highest form of punishment, right? Um, I am the caregiver for my mother who has Alzheimer's. That's been tough. She was, um, you know, apart from me for eight months and now she's able to come over on Sundays. So um, I hear you and I love that you're so courageous about sharing the good, the bad and the ugly, the real, right? Um, Gosh, I I would love to incorporate some of your work into the blog that I'll write about you after. I, I share the podcast in a blog, as my listeners know. Oh, thank you so much. That's very kind of you. Yeah, that would mean a lot. Well, let me ask you, we'll move on pro- from professional in a moment, but I just want to ask you, um, maybe I shouldn't even ask you this. I was going to say, what is your proudest professional accomplishment? Let's take professional out of there and just say proudest accomplishment. I'm going to say two things because I'll repeat the fact that I'll say being a mother. I love that. I love that about you. Yeah, that's really important to me. That's the most important thing. I think my recent most 
proud professional accomplishment was that I, I was published for the second time in Harvard Business Review, which had been on my list for many years. And I think I was just, didn't have the courage to do it or didn't think, you know, imposter syndrome, was I good enough yeah. to write for Harvard Business Review? What credentials do I have to do it? And so the second piece I just recently wrote that was published was a call to action for companies to rethink their corporate bereavement leave. And I lost my father suddenly three and a half years ago on Valentine's Day. And my family and I are still grieving that. And this piece probably wrote me, probably took me, excuse me, three and a half years to write. Wow. And so it's really about, um, I talk about my personal experience of, um, you know, just the shock of losing someone suddenly. But then I talk about what corporations should be doing and, you know, how much time off is enough time off and being able to use that time inter intermittently. And right. um, this idea that you have to, in, in some companies, I've seen policies where you have to provide proof of death or you have to define if it was an immediate family member and really thinking about how you expand, especially in this pandemic, who you consider to be family, because it's not always blood right. that becomes family. And then also grief. And something else I've been um, you know, really interested in is the grieving of miscarriages. And I never had a miscarriage. I've had a lot of people in my life who've had miscarriages. And I've seen Uber and other camp companies who've, who've created policies around that. So also to just think about grief more broadly and how we can support people in in one of their darkest hours. So I want to say that um, that is so beautiful. I've never had a guest even talk about this issue. And we talk, I mean, I've had 250 guests, so we talk about a lot. I've oh. never had a guest bring this up. Um, I have lost two of my siblings, my uncle, my father, two nephews, and a sister-in-law all within like eight to 10 years. So um, grieving became, yeah. So I, you know, when you live a life like that, you don't know, is this your normal every day or are you grieving, right? You're, you're, it's so much happening that, that you don't. Um, and I don't think corporations think about that. I think they think about it in robotic terms, like quantitative terms, right? How many days off? How, how long? How much should this cost? Do we pay for this kind of, so I love that you are um, asking them to open their corporate hearts and heads and think about new ways. Um, like you said, it, you, you don't just get, you know, X number of weeks off and then you're done. I mean, grieving comes in waves. It, it's different for everyone. And um, I, I write to, that's how I grieve. So the fact that you had the courage to do this, how was that received? I want that's, this is my question to you. How was that? Uh, piece received? Uh, it just got posted. Actually, my, my father's birthday would have been this past Saturday, October 10th. It just was posted on the 9th. It was just came out last week. Wow. And I posted it uh, on LinkedIn, which took me sort of a bit of thinking if I wanted to do that. Of course, it was already out there in the public domain, but I posted it. And I've, I've had a lot of other people post it. And what's meant a lot is people posting it starting starting it like I want to share this article because of my own experience yes. and 
what I would tell you is, if you talked to me four years ago when I was on your podcast, this was nothing that I ever would have thought I would write. It was not an experience I had had. And it's, you know, it's a club oh. that you never want to be a part of. But what I would say is, I think just as a as a community, as a society, we don't like talking about grief because no one ever wants to think that there's a time limit, right, on any on their lives. And so we don't want to talk about it. But I think one of the things I try really hard in my work and just my personal life is to be empathetic and to embrace those new experiences that happen. And it's interesting, the more I've been able to talk about my father's death, a lot of other people like yourself will open up and share. Yeah. And say, oh, yeah. you know, who's the greatest we're not alone. In my life? I, yeah, I, I think alone. I, I lost him and it changed my life. The trajectory, the way I look at things, think of things, feel about things. I mean, it was just something I never, it was unexpected. It was unexpected. So, um, yeah, it was the greatest loss of my life. Seriously. I, I, I think I changed as a human being after I lost my father. Um, have you ever read Ernest Becker's Denial of Death? No, I have not. Sounds like I should read it though. <laughs> oh my God. So he's a, a theorist and he wrote this Pulitzer Prize winning book that I read years ago. And um, I teach communications theory. So I'm all interested in, he's, he's related to terror management theory. You should read that book. It is about why we fear death. And, and it's not that it's healing and it's not that it's not one of those books, right? It's not a self-help book, but it's fascinating and it, it helps me or at least it helped me to process things so when these other people in my life passed away um maybe it's because of the nature of who they were versus and the relationship they had with me because my dad and I were very close like he was my one mentor and sponsor in my life right so that that could have been it but you would appreciate this book I believe you should read it I would like I, I don't I'm not reading books during the pandemic as we talked about, Susan, but I will. Yeah, <laughs> just put it on your someday list. How about yes. that? No, no, it sounds like a great book. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I talked about in this article too is that, you know, my brother, my brother said this to me, a coworker said to him that you will now have two faces of your life. Like yes. Life, life before dad and life after dad. And so, you know, as people are trying to figure out their new normal when they've lost someone they loved. Companies really just being open to that. Some people are gonna wanna throw themselves back into work. My company was super supportive of me in terms of the time off. The one thing I wished is that the time wasn't X number of days that you take right. at once, that you have grief days, because I think it actually gets harder once you realize the person's not coming back. And I also think just to, really meet the person where they are because sometimes my need to want to throw myself back into work is that I have to figure out what that new normal looks like and I want to distract myself and so not to say to somebody oh but your your dad just died so just take it easy right I, mean, right. I just don't know what the person's going through as you know it's like ups and downs it's complete turmoil and so just take take the employee's lead my other piece of it. And, and I would say, I would like to share your piece in the blog as well. I think this is very powerful. And a lot of people that you'd never know having the same, you know, ha have had the same or similar experience, they don't talk about it. So even though we grieve differently, sometimes like for me, when my father died, I lived in Boston. And so I only saw him, you know, every now and then when my mother showed up to visit me without him and she was coming down the escalator in Logan airport and she was alone. 
it hit me like a ton of bricks. I burst into, it must've been a year after he passed and I burst into tears and it was like, where's daddy? You know, it was so incredible. So I think that instead of looking at, at, in any kind of quantitative way, we need to look at this qualitatively. And I also think as time passes, you're going to learn, or maybe you won't, I did, that time does not heal. You just get accustomed to the pain, right? You get used to it. Um, A lot of people will say, and and they mean well, but callously, they'll say, oh, time heals, or no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's like what your brother said, the the life with dad and life without dad, that's the new binary. So I'd love to share. And I think back to your point on the advice people give, I would say that one of my best friends lost her mother um, when she was in her early 20s. We were just out of college and I was not a very good friend to her. Like I did my best, but I didn't know what it was like to lose someone I love that closely. So I probably, I mean, said things like that. I don't know. I don't remember, yeah, was, but I just think going through these new experiences, suddenly I'm so much more aware and empathetic and anyone in my company or organization or my sphere who I hear has lost someone, I immediately reach out to them in a way I didn't before. Like, I don't know you. I, I, I know of you. We know someone in common. I heard that you lost so-and-so in your life. I'm, I'm really sorry for your loss. And I'm here if you ever want to talk. And I've been, I've been. Yeah, you're making me cry. That is so. Oh, well, I thought it was going to make, I thought I was going to cry doing, talking about this, but I, you haven't made me cry yet, Susan. (laughs) No, you're so beautiful. You're just, this is what we need more of. I mean, and we need more of people who, um, you have to accept things you don't understand and things you do understand. You have to you know, be open to others living a different like life experience or, you know, so for example, I find some of the most compassionate people in the world are those who've had trauma, right? And traumatic experiences. And those who haven't, they just don't know what they don't know, right? So like this friend that you, you speak of, I'm sure she knows, well, Mita meant well, but doesn't know what I know, hasn't been through what I've gone through and she will someday. And now, you know, right. Um, this is so beautiful. Um, I'm glad that you're using your authentic voice to welcome the rest of the world to do the same and then to create change in, you know, at the policy level and the practices and in the corporations to, to really have them be more empathetic, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. Wow, I need a tissue. So um, <laughs> let's switch gears a little bit, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, no, of course. Because you're it. an amazing, amazing uh, example of a woman who owns her story, knows who she is, shares that person. Um, too many women out there are competitive and we're clawing at each other to get the one or two spots at the top instead of clawing the system to create more spots at the top. Um, so part of the reason I do this podcast is to collaborate, lift up, shine a light on, uh, and be there, be there for other women. How do you think we can um, support other women in business? There's enough room for everyone at the table. And just start with that mentality. Keep pulling up chairs, keep opening doors, keep inviting, keep passing it on. That, that's all. And it will come back to you in spades. 
there, there's not one seat, one opportunity for a podcast, one article, one this, one that. And I would not be here without the village of women who lift me up and support me every day and men, but I have some yeah. incredible women in my life. And so, you know, even the woman who introduced me to you, um, Jill Katz, one of many, right, who are constantly looking out for me and we're looking out for each other. So I think it's just exactly what you said, the mentality of just thinking about there is room for everyone. I, I love that you have the courage to say that and to say, and men, because I believe that too. I don't think that it's okay to um, disregard the way the, the white male leadership or mentality or operating system um, has been treating women and other minorities and then do the same thing, right? So I think we have to have men at the table as well. And we need male sponsors and we need men to understand how women and men communicate differently. And speaking of Jill Cat, she's one of the most amazing women I've ever met. And I have met her. I was in New York City. And um, yeah, we met for dinner one night and it was like we were sisters, right, from a lifetime ago. Um, she went through something that I'm currently going through and has held my hand the whole time. And I won't say it on the show because it's not about me. It's about you. But just to know we surround ourselves with some pretty rocking women. I'll just say she's amazing. I love her deeply. Yeah. Awesome. And what I would also say back to your comment about men, I think, you know, the headlines are, are like I say, clickbait, right? We're always trying to get the great headlines so people will click and read. And I think that there's a lot about there in the space about not enough men sponsoring women, not enough, not enough men advocating for women. Right. And, we don't hear enough about the men who are doing that because there are so many men who are doing that as well. Yes. And of course the numbers don't match. So we know that we need more, more women in the pipeline. We need more women in the C-suite. We need more women on boards. I, I am 150% there on all that. But what I would also say is that there are pretty remarkable, amazing men we all know, whether that's in our personal lives, my husband, my brother, you know, people that I've worked with over the years who I wouldn't be here today without them. I have um, a show, well, this show actually for allies. And I love to shine a light on those men who are helping to um, create equity in the workplace and equality in the world. So I'm with you. I, I have a son, right? He is remarkable. He, he sees women in a way that we wish all men would see women and that is capable and equal and, you know, not different in a negative light, right? So yes, I agree with you. We need to continue to lift up other women and the men who lift up women. Um, let me ask you this. It may be your father's passing, I'm not sure, but what has been your biggest challenge or setback and how did you overcome it? I would say my father's passing later in life. I would say probably Earlier in life, my biggest challenge was that I was bullied a lot growing up, both verbally and physically growing up. Wow, and, why? Um, outside of Boston, a handful of families of color. And I was the, I say, the funny looking dark skinned girl with the funny looking long braid with parents who spoke funny and they had a funny van and it was funny music playing from it when she would get dropped off at, at school until it wasn't funny anymore. Wow. And so I think that that sort of funny joking can take a really dark side and that's bullying. 
and I, I was bullied a lot. And I also, not only did I feel like I was bullied and didn't feel like I fit into my community, but growing up in the world as a young brown girl, I didn't feel like the world was made for me in Boston, meaning that I didn't see enough of myself, whether that right. was in media, whether that was in <laughs> cosmetics or products. I mean, I read Essence. I always say I identify with the Black community. I don't identify as Black. I, I was looking for role models everywhere. And I loved the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, loved Will Smith and Tatiana Ali, but I, I just didn't feel like I was fit in for this world. And so when I talk about being painfully shy, a lot of my, you know, throughout elementary school, junior high, high school, a lot of that was informed by experiences that happened to me. And I, I, I carried that with me for a long time. And I would also say that was probably my biggest challenge was that I wanted to be a leader, was a storyteller, yet I was, I was deathly afraid, deathly afraid to speak in front of people. I mean, even like in front of five people, never mind like a thousand people, which I've done in my career pre-COVID yeah. now. Yeah. And so my brother and mother, and of course my father, they all remember this. They all remembered when I was younger and how difficult it was for me. People who meet me now, like, you know, some of the people I've met, like a Jill Katz, who I've met um, recently, a few years ago, people don't believe that I was that. There's no way. No, you're not shy. Come on. You were never painfully shy. And I was like, I was. I worked really, really hard at practicing presenting and using my voice. It was, it's been a several year journey. And you, you've, so a lot of things I'm thinking here, my mind is tick, 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 tick. You understand the difference between being an introvert and being shy. And you said that earlier, shy is, is different. It's not, you know, for you to have overcome that, uh, you know, that's amazing. First of all, it's amazing. Secondly, I'm sorry, so sorry that you were bullied. And I have a couple of friends that um, have a shared narrative, right? They share your story. Um, and, and they are brown female friends who uh, one lived in New England, another in the Boston area. Same or I lived in Cohasset and Situate. So white as it gets, right? Um, worked at State Street. Um, but the time that I spent there, the 12 years that I spent in that area, I thought, you know, this place, there's no racism. There's no, you know, and then I realized after 12 years there, I'm like, oh, it's highly segregated, right? So you wouldn't walk, you know, North, North End doesn't go to Southie and Brookline doesn't hang with, you know, so I get it, I get it now. I thought having come from Louisiana or New Orleans specifically born there and raised in Baton Rouge that I had seen racism, but really, you know, it was evident there in New England as well. So I'm so sorry that you went through that, but I'll say whatever you did to overcome it, it worked because you are one remarkable woman. Um, I personally don't look through that lens because I think I recognize my white privilege. I mean, I had everything one could ever dream of and I was a young white female. Um, so I didn't have those barriers, but to hear you tell your story, I want to introduce you to a couple of friends. One of them is a senior person over, she's in New York City. You might know her. I'm not going to say her name here, but after, remind me. I would love to introduce you to her. She has a similar narrative growing up and she too has overcome, right? She's a remarkable, in fact, of all the people I coach, um, when I need a coach, I go to her, right? 
so she's in-house at a major corporation, but she's also a coach. Um, I want to share a lot of your writing um, on the blog, if that's okay with you. I really... That's very kind of you. Yes, absolutely. Anything. (laughs) Anything you'd like to share. (laughs) Thank you for thinking it's kind. Um, But really, I think I would learn and benefit and love. I I, I think I would get lost in your writing. You're, You're someone who speaks my language and you tell stories and you own your own story. I love all of that. And if we can, by example, encourage other women to be the same, I think we're shifting things in a big way. Um, tell me something. Are you so? So this is the part of my show where I ask the guest: Are you willing to let me uh, ask you a wild card question? So I have a box of. What's that? Oh boy! Okay. <laughs> one hundred forty. Yeah, I have one hundred forty-four meaningful questions, and if the guest says okay. no, that that's fine too. But if they say yes. Oh, okay. I, your game. Maybe I'll just abstain if you ask me I don't like something, or maybe I'll ask you to pick another one. <laughs> you can kidding. do that as well. You can do that. Let's I do just it. pulled. All right. I just pulled. I think you'll like this. Um, it's it, everything I do is deep, right? I, I am uncomfortably deep for some people. But uh, this question is what is a topic you have completely changed your mind about? need for political diversity. Oh, wow. Do tell. And just, I think, I wouldn't say change my mind on it. I'd say just been more open and more vocal about it. That I think that too often we enter any conversation where we already have a point of view. And so I think I, what I, what I would say is like, I'm much more comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. So an example I would give is that a a friend of mine who is a vendor who does some work with one of the, one of the companies I've worked for, she and I were having a work meeting one day and I don't know how headlines even came up and she, you know, she brought up, um, President Trump at the time wanting to build a wall. And she said to me, you know, I'm so supportive of that. And we really need, we really need this wall built. And I said to her, well, tell me why, like, why, why do you feel that way? And we just had like the most fascinating, interesting conversation for 40 minutes. And I learned so much about her and her family history that I had never done before. So I'm not going to disclose how right. I'm voting. I think everybody should vote. I think also given my role and what I do in inclusion, it's important to allow psychological safety and allow all voices to be heard at the table. Now, right. now what I would say is that doesn't mean that includes hate speech, right? Doesn't mean that it includes things that are um, actively hurting other individuals, whether that's, you know, words or threats or, or whatever you may, you know, in that, in that arena. But what I would say is that I think our country is so divided right now and it's it's painful to watch the headlines and it's painful to read the back and forth and just to be open-minded and you know our companies are divided it's a reflection of our country and our families are divided right you know even my within my own family we have a very wide spectrum on what people believe right 
in terms of their politics. And I think I am trying to just more actively practice just listening to a point of view that might not be what I believe I hold or a point of view that might surprise me from somebody and being able to suspend judgment and ask thoughtful open-ended questions to learn something that I didn't know before. I love that. That's very courageous. Um, I have to say that I did this experiment. It was a project for school years ago, back when Obama Romney campaign was um, the thing. And it was a two and a half year experiment with 190,000 people involved across the country. And it was about thinking critically and checking facts and knowing primary sources versus propaganda. And it was in the wake of what we now call fake news. Um, and it was very difficult then. I can imagine it's, well, I know it's even more difficult now, but um, I would ask if you participated in this and you had to sign up to participate, that you check the facts, know how that fact impacts you personally, make your own decision. Don't engage in groupthink, right? Don't do something just because your spouse or your you know, parents say so. Vote your values, not your fears and then give merit to another stand. And as difficult as that was back then, I think it's almost impossible today. So the fact that you are actively engaging in those steps in you know, active listening, um, giving merit to another stand, that makes you one of the most beautiful humans I've never met in real life, <laughs> I'll say. Say to you, I am practicing it. <laughs> there you go. You know, but I think what upsets me is like we, you know, sort of the the stereotypes we have about people, or just this person is bad or good because they're voting for this person. It's so much more multi-layered and complex than that. And I think that if we just had more of an open heart and an open mind, we'd be in a better place, um, just with our families and our friends and in our communities. I have another book recommendation for you. Are you oh, ready? Oh, here we go. Okay. <laughs> it's Dr. Jonathan Haidt's The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided on Politics and Religion. I think you'll enjoy that book. It's a deep read. It's pretty complex, but you're a deep woman. You can handle it. Um, okay. Yeah. It's, it's not beach reading, my friend. <laughs> anything you've given me is beach reading well I'm not much actually of a, if you send me the list I'm not much of a beach reader I yes. say, that's why I say the the speed of Susan is not for everyone nor is the depth so um you are wonderful this has been such you made me cry oh my god this has been such a great conversation um I'm going to post many, many, many of your articles and suggest that people sign up, subscribe, and stay in touch with you. If people want to know more about you, how can they reach you? The best place is LinkedIn. That's the best place to follow me, reach out, engage. I'd love to hear from, from anyone who wants to chat. And folks, she means that. Um, although we were introduced by the lovely Jill Katz, um, we have, you know, commented, connected, liked, shared, been engaged on LinkedIn. So she's very active and she's very sincere in that. Um, thank you so much for sharing yourself inside out today. No, thank you. This was a great conversation and you allowed for a safe space to do that. So thank you. 
You bet, you bet. Well, folks, thank you for listening in and you can look for the blogcast. I usually get them out within the week. Um, so we'll have some pictures that tell the story of Mita. We will certainly, if she's okay with that, share pictures of her lovely family to whom you know she's so devoted. And then we will have um, her LinkedIn profile as well as links to these remarkable articles that I'm, I'm really looking forward to deep diving into. So everyone have a great day and thanks for tuning in.